Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. All right, we, we're back in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And I'm actually going to read that first and then give a little bit of a context. And then today is very practical. That's the hope. It's very practical. So let's go ahead to Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Here it goes. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So this passage could be titled, it could be titled, Living in Harmony in the Workplace. Living in Harmony in the Workplace. But to get there, we have to deal with some context first. And so we're going to do a little, just a tiny bit of context, all right, and then we're going to get to the practical. Because I would imagine some of us in, this, in, in our church this morning are reading not the ESV, but maybe another translation. And in most translations, verse five, uh, chapter 6, verse 5 says, Slaves, obey your masters. And that's loaded. <laughs> right? I mean, that's loaded. And so we need to get around that first. And, and I think it's going to be help, helpful for us to get around that and to see kind of what Paul really meant. Um, so I want to briefly provide some thoughts. The first thing is that Roman slavery was not like the modern African uh, slave trade that most of us would think of. Okay, It was a much different slavery. Now, I will say, there were people who were enslaved to masters. All right, So I don't want you to think that that's not true. There were people who were enslaved, but mostly it was not ethnically based. All right? There are several ways you could become a slave. One of them is that you could be paying off of a, off a debt, and so you owed yourself to someone. In other situations, you might have been a prisoner of war, and so uh, one of the ways they gave you citizenship in the kingdom is you became a slave uh, to a master, and you worked for money. And there were other, I mean, I don't want you to also think, like, it was still kind of harsh to be a slave. It would obviously would be better to not be, you know, enslaved, but... Roman slavery was much different than what we think of it today. Um, there was over 60 million of these bond servants, and that's why the ESV ch- changed it to bond servant. Over 60 million of these bond servants in Rome. And so, um, in this passage, and actually this passage was used, and it's one of the most horrendous misuses of the Bible. This is one of the main passages used to condone slavery in the 1800s. Because the verse says, slaves obey your masters, and then Okay, that's what you're supposed to do. There are a lot of people who think that Paul condoned this type of modern slavery. And there's a lot of people who, in our day and age, think that God condones this type of modern day slavery. But I think it's important for me to say that Paul did not and God did not. And so I want to give just a quick snapshot uh, to see really what's going on here. 
First thing is, why didn't Paul directly tell masters to release their slaves? He could have done that, right? It's important for us to remember the context of Rome here in Ephesus. Christianity was a very small, very small sect of the, of the culture. There is little to no political agenda or um, arena for Christians. They weren't in, they weren't Caesars, they weren't, yeah, none of that stuff, all right? It was almost no political influence from Christians. So a political decree from Paul would have done almost nothing. It would have just been a blip on their radar. I mean, not many people's lives would be changed by that. So instead, he did something that was lasting. And this is a theme throughout all of Paul's letters. He always would go to the heart instead of the system. And so instead of asking the masters to free their slaves, he asked them to do something much greater, much harder. What he says is that if you are a Christian, masters, you are now to treat your slaves as though they are brothers and sisters in Christ. They're on the equal playing field with you. And slaves, if you're a Christian, you are meant to treat your masters as though they are brothers and sisters in Christ. The system didn't quite change yet, but the heart was changing. F.F. Bruce talks about Paul writing about slaves and masters, and this is what he says. In Paul's letters, what he does is he brings us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. It could only wilt and die. Paul was not fighting this battle politically. He was fighting it with the heart. And so anytime that he appeals, and there's... If you read Paul's letters, you will see this theme. He talks to slaves and masters. And any time that he does, he appeals to both Christian slaves and masters to their kingdom citizenship. Because he was creating an environment where the slave-master type of hierarchical relationship couldn't survive. And it didn't survive. And many historians uh, still write about how Paul's writings in the ancient world was one of the top-tier reasons that the ancient slavery dissipated. Because it was impossible to continue on with the slavery that they did if you treated everyone like brothers and sisters. It, would, it just fell away. And so Paul went after the heart instead of the system. I want to take just a quick uh, look at a case study of a master-slave relationship in the Bible. The book of Philemon, which is just a couple books to the right, um, Paul writes a letter to this slave owner in Ephesus. So this is a guy who's living in this time, probably in the church of the Ephesians. And uh, Philemon had, had a dealing with one of his bondservants, one of his slaves named Onesimus. And Onesimus had apparently stolen some stuff and ran away. And uh, Philemon got saved. And while Onesimus was on the run, he ran into Paul, which is amazing. And he got saved. And so Paul like, kind of let Onesimus hang around for a while and then realized there was some relational reconciliation that needed to happen. Onesimus ran away and, and, and thieved Philemon. And I imagine Onesimus was kind of scared. Like, is he going to receive? What should I do? And so Paul writes this letter, and it's amazing if you ever want to read it. It's only 25 verses. But he writes this letter on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon. And this is what he said, and I think this is the best snapshot of how Paul thought about even the ancient slavery of the day. He says this in verse 15, For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, 
no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul writes back to Philemon, appealing on Onesimus' kingdom citizenship, and he pleaded with him to not only receive him back, right? This is a guy who deserved whatever penalty there was, but Paul pleads with Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. It's that environment, the environment that Paul was creating, that this master-slave relationship was impossible to continue on, and it did not continue. It died out. And so I suppose it was important for me to say this morning, Paul does not condone slavery. The Bible does not condone slavery in the way that we think of it. And ultimately, where I think the bigger hang-up for most people is, God does not condone the modern slavery that we think of. He doesn't. And for now, I just would ask you to take my word for it. Because there's some other stuff for us this morning that I don't want to take away, away from. So if that's a hang-up for you, or you want to know more, and you're really curious, I would love to get, like, get, find me after service. Let's set up a lunch, a dinner, something like that. I'd love to sit down and talk to you about Christianity and slavery. But it's important for you to know out the gate that the modern slave trade that we think of, God doesn't condone it. There's actually a law in Exodus about kidnapping, and it was one of the things that you would deserve death for if you kidnapped someone else. And so it's important for me to say that, all right? Um, In the ESV, and this is why it says bondservants in our passage this morning, uh, the ESV did some deep work around this translation of the word slave and changed it to bondservant because in Ephesus and in Rome, there was uh, three different things you would think of when you heard bondservant. You would think of a slave, which was mostly not ethically driven. You would think of a servant, or for us, you would think of an employee. Because like 90% of the workforce in Rome was a bondservant. 90%. So it's appropriate for us this morning to think of when we see bondservant to be thinking of employee. So if you're an employee, the practicals for the bondservant is for you. And it's appropriate for us when we talk about the masters this morning for you to think of employer. So there's bondservant, which is the employee, and there's master, which is the employer. And I think that's what's probably most most culturally appropriate for our church um, this morning. So we're not operating in the culture of masters and slaves, but we are, almost all of us are operating in some sort of employee and employer relationship. And so that's why I said this passage could be titled Living in Harmony in the Workplace. Because with these practicals, what Paul introduces is a culture that can be created and you can play a part in it where dehumanization cannot possibly survive. Even in your workplace tomorrow. And that's only possible with the Spirit of Christ at the center. He changes the playing field. And so we're going to get to the practicals. There are two main things that I see in this passage for us this morning, and they're in your notes. The first one is this, is that the gospel transforms our working relationships. And the second one we'll talk about later is that the gospel gives you a heavenly master. But we're going to spend some time here on the gospel transforms our working relationships. 
And it's to this end that Paul writes Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, that in the kingdom, this is what he was doing, he was changing the way that relationships worked in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, every single relationship is meant to be based in grace and not power. And that's why he starts with marriages. Marriages are supposed to be based in grace and not power. And then he moves to the child and the parent. Parents, your relationship with your child is meant to be based in grace and not power. And then he moves to the workforce. And he says, bosses, employees, your relationships are now to be uh, based on grace and not power. Because the gospel changes everything about us, and it also changes how we work. So let's look here at verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So remember, when we're talking about bondservants, Paul is addressing someone who was in some sort of servitude relationship with a master. Now, this is amazing. In my study, I just it blew my mind that the last three sections, Paul addresses a bondservant, a child, and a wife. The very fact that Paul is writing to bondservants means that he expects these bondservants to, one, be in the church. They would have heard the letter. So he expects that bondservants are on the exact same playing field. They would have been in the church. And then number two, this is incredible because this is something that did not happen with any other contemporary writer. Paul writing to bondservants means he expected them He expected them to play a role in the harmony of the workplace. Do you know how incredible that is? Paul gives them dignity. What he's saying is, I trust you with the command. You don't need someone over top of you to make sure that everything works right. If you're a believer, I trust you with the work that I'm giving you. And so Paul writing to bondservants alone means... That Christian employees, God trusts you with a certain type of responsibility to make your workplace a place where the kingdom has come. If you are a Christian employee, God trusts you to bring the kingdom there. The believing slave-master relationship in Rome was no longer meant to be based in blind submission, but Paul changed it. It's now based in grace and teamwork. And so the believing bondservant and us, the believing employee, we are trusted parts of the kingdom team in the workplace. The kingdom can come to your work because you go there. That's incredible. It's incredible because it means that Paul writing to children and wives means the same thing, that he trusts both wives and children with responsibility in the harmony of the family too. And this is is the main big thing that I take away from this idea. It's that the Gospel gives dignity to those who are normally treated like second-class citizens. The church is a place for everyone. For bondservants alike. And I think that's an important piece from Ephesians for the rest of your life as you look back to Ephesians to remember that Paul was giving dignity to every single person. Wherever you are, whoever you are, the church is a place for you. Child, yes. Parent, yes. Woman, yes. Man, yes. 
Master, yes. Bondservant, yes. He levels the playing field. And so I began with that because it's important for you guys to know that Paul trusts you with this command that we're going to talk about. So when you get this this morning, God trusts you in your workplace to employ this type of life and this type of relationship to your boss. It's actually, there's some responsibility on you, which is, it's cool. I mean, that's the best way to give someone, like, growth in their life. You give them some responsibility and you give them grace around it. And then you walk and you mess up and you get better and that's how it works. So, here are some characteristics of an employee bringing harmony to the work. The first one is this. This is what you should look like in your workplace. Respect your boss. Respect your boss. Verse 5, Paul says that bondservants are meant to obey with fear and trembling. Now, in the Bible, and you, you see fear and trembling a lot, this is another way. It, it's, it's just the common way that someone would say respect and reverence. And if you remember back in Ephesians 5.21, we see that we are meant to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of respect for Christ. Out of respect for each other. And so the very first thing that you do if you are a Christian employee is you respect your boss. You have reverence for your boss because you have reverence for Christ. Now let's talk about this respect for a moment. This is not a respect that you only give when you feel as though your boss deserves your respect. Okay? Here's one of the primary ways that the gospel changes your work relationships, that Jesus changes your work relationships. If you're a Christian employee, the respect that you give to your employer is not determined by how much they have earned your respect. Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, you're like the rest of the world. What difference are you? But love your enemies. That's where you're different in the world. And so you don't only respect and love your, your boss if they respect you. Okay? You give them respect because you already submit to Christ. And He's ultimately your master. And we're going to talk about that later. The Gospel changes that part of our hearts. That we can obey, we can obey from our hearts. That's what verse 6 says. We, we obey with fear and trembling, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So how does Jesus change your relationship in the workplace? It's that He allows you from your heart to willingly respect the people who have authority over you. It's that Jesus changes our hearts so that we can respect even when we don't feel like any respect is deserved. That is completely countercultural. We live in a place that says, only respect someone who respects you. Jesus says, give respect to everyone and I'll deal with them. We're not supposed to take our own vengeance because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. All right, the second characteristic of an employee is this. We are meant to work for the Lord, not for man. Work for the Lord, not for man. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with a sincere heart 
as you would Christ. And in verse 6, but as bondservants of Christ. So for the workplace to be harmonious, for you to play a role, for you to do what you've been called to do, it's that if you're a Christian employee, you are meant to work well even when nobody is watching you. Even when nobody is watching you. Not, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. It's in our sin nature that we only want to work when we're being watched. I get it. I've been there. I've painted a lot, and I own my own painting company. And when I'm the boss, I want to do all the, I just want to get home. But when I wasn't the boss, it's like, all right, I can get in this room and, you know, I paint a little less here and there. Okay? Because it doesn't matter to me, right? I get it. I'm there. We want to have the appearance of work without really doing the work. But the gospel changes that part of our heart, too. It allows us to see that all the work that we do, every work that you have, you do it as a bondservant of Christ. You're not working ultimately for man. You're working for God. So it doesn't matter what your job is. If you're doing work, you're meant to be doing it as though it's for God. So that's what it looks like to live out your Christian belief in the workplace. Don't steal your workplace's time. Don't take advantage of your boss's leniency. Don't weasel your way out of work that you're responsible for. Don't work for eye service or for people-pleasing. Work well. Because you're not only a bondservant to your earthly master, much more importantly, you're a bondservant of Christ. You're a bondservant of Christ. And maturity in Jesus looks like someone who doesn't need micromanaged. You don't need micromanaged to get your work done because you're a bondservant of Christ. And ultimately, you're accountable to God. I've heard this before. Well, I'm, and this is outside of work. You know, I just I couldn't get this because I didn't have an accountability partner. So it's your fault that I didn't do what I was supposed to do because you didn't keep me accountable. Well, guess what? It's not up to me to keep you accountable. You work well because God is the best accountability partner there is. Verse 6b and 7, the end of 6 and 7 says this, that we are to do uh, our service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that, or sorry, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. And so the responsibility that Paul is placing on the bondservant in the workplace is to do good work from your heart as though you're working for God. And the sincerity that Paul writes about refers to openness and willingness. Openness and willingness. And so bondservants, employees, we're supposed to sincerely work well because we're working for God. And that's a radically different way than the bondservants who became Christians expected to subvert their culture. Right? They are bondservants and they have a new king. They would expect probably some, some you know, let's, let's freedom fight this thing, right? But Paul subverts the culture not with the system but with the heart he didn't tell bond servants to revolt 
He exhorted them to be better workers. The culture would be changed and could be created within the employees to make this utopian type of place. And that's how the Gospel changes our hearts too. Instead of feeding the part of your work that makes you want to revolt against your system, the Gospel allows you to work diligently where you're at to the best of your ability. That's how you can subvert your your work culture. Don't revolt. Work harder. Be better. Now I want to make a quick side note because this is important. I don't want you to take this and like go somewhere where it's not supposed to go. There's a major difference between bond servants and employees. You guys have the choice to pick another job. You can, right? Bond servants didn't have a choice. And so Paul specifically talking to them was, you're not going to get out of this. So you have a couple choices here. You can either revolt the system or you can change the culture. All right? I don't think that Paul says, if you have a toxic work environment, you have to stay. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think that there's plenty of reasons to be able to leave your job, and you probably maybe have to. But bond servants weren't allowed to leave, and so it's important to remember the context and how it fits. So how does that work for us? I think what he's saying to us as employees is that if you are going to stay at your current job, then one of the best ways to bring the gospel light into that place is to be the best worker that you can be. That's the responsibility of the employee for harmony. To respect their employers with reverence to Christ and do all the work that they can as though they're working for God. If you do that, God promises the culture will change around you. Maybe not in the short term, but in the long term it will. Because you are being a beacon of light and hope to the rest of your workplace. And then he talks to employers and he says some radical stuff. He says this in verse 9. Masters, so we're talking about bosses. If you are over someone, and I'm sure there's people here who are, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening. Do the same to your bond servants. So what's he saying? That if you're a boss, if you're an employer, and you are a Christian, you're supposed to treat your bond servants, your employees, exactly how you expect to be treated by them. He says do the same to them. So that means masters respect your employees with fear and trembling. A Christian master or boss is brought low to a new level to their, to their bondservant. And that's the only way that harmony can work in the workplace. It's that our relationships are changed from a place of power to a place of grace. And so we're supposed to treat our employees with the respect that they want, th- that they want themselves You're supposed to do the same. Now in the world, here's one of the practical ways this can happen. In the world, you have to earn the respect of your employer. If you're a boss, you're waiting for someone to earn your respect so you can trust them. 
But if you're a Christian boss, this is the way that gospel changes your heart. You're supposed to give respect right away. You respect them because you're a believer. And ultimately, you relay your life back to God. Paul even goes one step further for employers. Stop threatening them. So do you see how this culture of slave and master could not survive? It was of the utmost importance that if you were a master in Rome and you called yourself a Christian, your new charge was you're not allowed to threaten your slaves anymore. You're not allowed. It's sin to threaten them, to make sure they get the work done. That's not an appropriate way for them to be able to get their work done. You don't threaten them anymore. Now that's the negative, but the positive side of this is that Jesus changes uh, Christian employers in a way that we no longer work in a position of power. We no longer work in a position of power, but we work in a position of grace and gentleness. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. And so if you're an employer, your call is to be gentle with your employees. Threatening them for productivity is out of the question. So what happens if someone tries to take advantage of your gentleness? Tries to take advantage of your grace? Well then, and I was talking to some buddies about this this weekend, it was really helpful. Um, What do you do? I think that every decision that you make, whether it's they have to be fired or not, every decision that you make towards them is from grace and gentleness and respect. So it doesn't mean that you never fire someone who's not working well, but it does mean that every decision you make towards your employees must come from a place of gentleness and grace, or it's not Christian. And in some cases, in the short term, you might lose productivity and you might lose profits. But in most cases, if that's your environment, you're going to be more productive and more profitable. Why? Because almost every person I've ever talked to doesn't want to work for a harsh boss. No, Who wants to work for a mean person? Nobody. That makes no sense. No one wants their boss to not respect them. Almost everybody wants to work in a place where their boss is gentle with their instruction and kind and gracious to you with your mistakes. That's a place that you can create if you are a Christian employer. That's a space that you can create where harmony is possible because it doesn't matter if your employee has earned your respect, you're going to give it because yours is Christ's. So let me sum this up. Employees, it is Christian of you to be the best employee you can be. You should be the most ethical, the most honest, and the most servant-hearted. That's Christian of you. And employers, it's Christian of you to be the best employer you can be. The most ethical, the most honest, and the most servant-hearted. That's the practical of the work relationship. That you can go into work tomorrow and you can decide to work 
as though you are a bondservant of Christ. And so you're going to do all the work that you're supposed to do as though it's for Him. And if this reciprocal relationship takes place, you will experience something that you can't experience anywhere else. The master and bondservant working together is one, and that master-slave relationship being completely destroyed. The gospel changes your work relationships. And here's how we're going to end, and the, the music team can come on up. The gospel gives you a heavenly master. This is the key. This is the, the cherry on top. This is the, the, the motivator and the model. Verse 9b. I'll just read all of verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their masters and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with Him. How could you possibly do this stuff? It's only possible if you know that we all serve a heavenly Master. And with our heavenly Master, there's no partiality. In the kingdom, there's no slave and there's no free. There's no male and there's no female. We are all one in Christ. This is amazing. The masters and the slaves of Ephesus are dining at the same table in heaven. And the CEOs and the janitors will be worshiping together. And the middle management and the factory workers will all be probably hanging out together. The Gospel gives you a heavenly Master and your heavenly Master sees no partiality. doesn't matter who you are or where you are. A woman, a child, a bondservant, a CEO, a janitor, it doesn't matter. In God's kingdom, you are the exact same. A dignified child of God. And therefore, live in it. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word that changes everything. It changes every relationship that we're in. It changes our relationship with our spouses and it changes our relationship with our kids. And probably more broadly for us, it changes all of our relationship with our employees and our employers and our peers at work. You promised to bring a, a, a place, a kingdom that comes on earth as it is in heaven. And right now, we have a part to play, a role to play to bring heaven to our workplace. Help us, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.